On that July day, I was scheduled at the VA in the Las Vegas emergency room uh, from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. And I was scheduled to be on vacation the following day. When I uh, got into work, my charge nurse actually surprised me and said she was going to try to get me off work early, which is incredibly unusual because while we're paid hourly at the VA, we are considered uh, salaried staff. So it's very uncommon for anybody to leave early and they never force anybody to go home early. So when she presented me with this opportunity, I was very excited. I was going to be driving to Indiana the next day. So having a little extra time was a wonderful idea. So I actually ended up getting to start my vacation early and leave at 3 p.m. instead of 11 p.m. And so I hop in the car and I head out of Las Vegas. Welcome to A Nurse First. This is Maria Van Hart telling her own A Nurse First story. So I am north of Las Vegas, maybe a half hour, um, mile marker 87, and all the traffic is stopping, and I notice that there is a white SUV that is upside down in the median. So, of course, I stop in the state of Nevada because of how rural we are. Um, medical providers are technically required to stop. If you don't stop and somebody knows that you're a medical provider and did not stop, they potentially could turn you into the board and you would have to um, go before the board and explain yourself. Lots of other bystanders on scene, so I um, verbally asked if anyone there was medical and they responded no. And then I verified that someone had, in fact, called 911. At this particular location, this was an hour and a half drive to the nearest trauma center. Quickly realizing she is the only medical provider among all the bystanders on scene, Maria steps into her role without panic or hesitation. A witness to the crash directs Maria to a child who had already removed himself from the vehicle and he became her de facto translator and triage assistant. The first person that he took me to because he was the most concerned about, and rightfully so, uh, was his brother, who I believe he told me was 14. Based on how he was lying on the ground, I was relatively confident that he had been a second row passenger because there were there were 10 people in the car so there were three three rows of seats and he I'm relatively confident had been ejected and that the vehicle had actually rolled on him uh, he was lying in a uh, kind of unusual position and had some deformities of uh, the upper extremities and he had what appeared to be CSF fluid coming from his nose and his ears I did not ascertain uh, any pulse or respiratory effort at that time from him. Well, there was a woman uh, right next to him who I believe to be the mother of the child. She was very distraught, had 
I'm pretty sure was probably in the front seat and had self-extricated because everything on her looked like scratches. He then showed me uh, two more people who were near next to each other, 16-ish, 16 to 18-year-old male who was alert and oriented. There was a bystander with him who told me that he, the, the kid kept trying to get up and was complaining of back, neck, and leg pain. And he had a, an open fracture of one of his lower extremities. So I asked the bystander to stay with him and encourage him not to move and just kind of just just be with him and communicate with him. Uh, next to him was an infant toddler. Bystanders told me they had found her face down and had turned her over. But on initial assessment looked fine, but clearly had been ejected as well. Then I walked over to a woman who was kind of in and out of consciousness, probably in her mid-20s-ish. Um, severe pain, based on her location, had to have been ejected from the vehicle as well. No obvious injuries, but severe pain. Then there was uh, a female who was ambulating around carrying an infant, not a scratch on either of them. And then the uh, patriarch of the family, the father was also walking around and just some scratches. At some point in time, I don't remember exactly when, a woman approached me and said that she was a nurse and wanted to know if there was anything that she could do to help. And then I asked her to go over to the infant and stay with the infant and let me know if she noticed any respiratory changes. A few of the other bystanders were asking if there was anything that they could do to help. And so I did ask people, I said, if you've got anything in your car that you can hold up to shield from the sunlight, um, I want to say the temperature that day was pushing 120. Um, so it was incredibly hot out. Um, and so there were a lot of bystanders who brought blankets, sheets, stuff that they happened to have in their car um, that they could use to, to try to keep the sun off of all these people for me. It felt like forever because I had time to assess every single patient before the first 911 responder arrived. And it was Officer Cruz from the uh, reservation from Indian Affairs uh, Police Department. I was, I feel blessed that he was the first one to arrive because he uh, is a Marine. And historically speaking, VA nurses do not get a lot of respect in the general public because we don't historically work the same as uh, civilian ERs. And, you know, there are very, very few VAs that will take trauma patients. A significant number of the VAs don't take ambulances at all. So I understand people's response to not having 100% faith in a VA nurse until they actually have a conversation with them. I don't like it, but I understand it. So I was very thankful uh, that Officer Cruz was there because the minute I identified myself to him, he supported me and gave me everything that I needed. He brought me his um, emergency kit out of his cruiser because I didn't have gloves. I didn't have anything. And by this point, I already was partially covered in blood. And he asked me what I needed. And I told him I needed a minimum of two helicopters, if not three, and that we had 10 patients. 
So he immediately requested all of the medical support that we were going to need for the scene. Uh, Shortly after that, um, the uh, highway patrol arrived and the Las Vegas Police Department was probably another 20 minutes before fire arrived. Being a firefighter myself, I knew it was customary to turn the scene over to the fire chief. He asked me to maintain control of the scene so that he could manage his personnel and making sure that he had the right personnel with the right patient. Um, So I obliged him in that, of course. And um, the uh, other nurse, she did an amazing job and let me know that the infant's respiratory um, pattern had changed. So I went back over and reassessed the infant. And at that point in time, she was no longer making any noises, but one of her pupils was blown. She was probably starting to have seizure activity and she was starting to have bruising on that side of her face. So I let the the fire chief know that as well when he arrived and he sent his medic over there to start that, left one of his crew with me with uh, cardiac monitoring equipment so that we could evaluate the uh, 16-year-old child and confirm that he was in fact deceased. I started an IV uh, for them on the young man with the open leg fracture. About that time, the helicopter lands. I went and met the flight crew so that I could give them report on the infant. First thing the flight crew did was intubate the infant and uh, evacuate her. I was again ready to leave the scene because I thought we kind of had everything under control and the fire chief came and grabbed me and asked me if I would come to the ambulance where they had brought the woman who was going in and out of consciousness to try and treat her. The uh, adult male was preventing them from giving her any treatment. Um, So I started her IV and he was still kind of trying to stop everybody from doing anything. Uh, When I worked at Wishard Hospital in Indianapolis, I had the privilege of working with um, multiple physicians who uh, were Middle Eastern. And they had taught me a phrase, "Assalamu alaikum." So I took a shot in the dark that this man would know what that meant. And so I started just saying it over and over again until his eyes met mine and you could see that he recognized the words. He gave me the appropriate response of um, "Walaikum salam. And he sat back and he let me take care of her. Essentially what he was doing was trying to prevent anyone that he thought was male from touching her for cultural reasons. So um, I did a quick assessment on her and was guessing that she had an open, unstable pelvic fracture. Flight crew arrives, one male, one female. So I kind of pulled them aside real quick and let them know about the cultural issues. Um, So the female flight crew member took lead and she and I put a pelvic stabilizer on and we got the uh, young woman loaded into the helicopter and off they went to um, University Medical Center Trauma Center in Las Vegas. With the scene calming, Maria finally had a moment to take a breath and she retreated to her car to continue her journey home. And then my adrenaline crashed and I got a little shaky, so I kind of pulled off at the next little rest area and took a minute. 
So then I um, called one of the other nurses that I worked with in the ER at the VA. So I reached out to her for kind of a debriefing and she and I talked for a little while because even to this day, I just, I still can't, you know, I mean, it's the first time I've ever pronounced someone dead and just walked away from them on scene. I still question myself. Did I do everything that I could do for him? And I mean, you can't argue with CSF fluid coming from the ears and the nose and having no palpable pulse, no audible respiratory effort, and nothing on the cardiac monitor. You can't argue with that. But still, it was a kid. It was somebody that I that I left. And she and I have talked about that a lot, and she's she's really, really helped me with that emotionally and, and been great. And my first day back at work, uh, my manager, both my assistant managers came to me and said, hey, we heard what you did. We're real proud of you. We're thankful that you work here. And are you okay? And that meant a lot to me. And within a couple of days, our director of nursing was down in the ER and came and found me and told me how proud she was to have me as one of her nurses and asked if I was okay and wanted to know if she could arrange any counseling for me if I needed any more support than what I'd already been given. And that means a lot. Being an emergency room nurse, this probably wasn't the first time that you didn't hear the end of the patient's stories. But in this case, did you ever find out how everyone from the crash was doing or what happened to cause the accident? Do you feel like fate put you in their path? I did find out from the police after the fact when the state patrol called me just to, to follow up. They did let me know that everyone that we um, transported from the scene did arrive alive to the hospital, but I do not know if they were alive to discharge. They uh, were passing another vehicle. They, they had been in the slow lane. Um, and they had moved over into the passing lane to pass the other vehicle. And just as they were passing the other vehicle, apparently the tire blew. They were headed to Las Vegas for a wedding. 100% yes, I was meant to be there that day. Yeah, I mean, all of my training, the instructors that I've had, all of the different nurses and firefighters and paramedics, flight nurses, police officers that I've worked with and trained with over the years, they're the ones who taught me everything that allowed me to be able to do that. I, I feel like everything happens for a reason. When I was back working in Las Vegas in the ER, I was working in our COVID tent. There was a physician who worked in the pension department who had gotten reassigned. He is Muslim. And so he and I ended up in a conversation about this because he wanted me to be aware that it would now be the eldest son's responsibility to pray for me every day. And that should a Muslim gentleman ever show up at my door, that I should never be surprised. That it will be him coming to tell me thank you from his family. I thought that was pretty cool. So that it doesn't help with the closure of I don't know what happened to these people but so often as an ER nurse you never know at the end of my shift 
I asked myself a couple of questions to know if I did everything I could do that day. My mom passed away in 2000. So at the end of my day, I asked myself if my mother had been the last patient to be seen sitting in the back corner of the waiting room, would I have done anything different today? And if I would have done something different, then I didn't do the best job that I could do. Because every single person sitting in that waiting room is somebody's mother, father, sister, brother, or child. And they deserve to be treated as such. Thank you for listening to A Nurse First from Sigma. If you loved this episode, do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. It is very much appreciated. For more information about A Nurse First and Sigma, visit sigmanursing.org. Until next time.